Good afternoon, everybody. It is noontime on Wednesday. This is Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. Uh, welcome to Office Hours with Dr. DeVoe. This is the next evolution of professional development in higher education. Every week we come to you here from Fireside Chat uh, to share the latest news, the latest trends, and the latest issues around U.S. higher education. Uh, today, uh, we're going to lead off with some news around higher ed before getting into our show. Today's show is the the theme of rethinking residence life. We have a lot of interest in today's show, and I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, so some of the news coming up around higher ed, California governor signs rescue bill to avert enrollment cuts at Berkeley comes to us from the Chronicle of Higher Education. Uh, in 10 days before the University of California, Berkeley was scheduled to notify applicants whether they'd been accepted in person online uh, for next spring or for next spring semester only, Governor Gavin Newsom signed legislation on money to Monday to allow it to avoid those dis distinctions. A response to a court-ordered enrollment cut for the coming fall of 2022. Both the state Senate and the California State Assembly had voted unanimously earlier in the day in favor of this decision, which essentially overrides the decision of the state Supreme Court. That court had upheld two lower court rulings, freezing enrollment for the 2021 levels. Uh, coming to us from the University of Texas at Austin, uh, it is a win for academic mothers. This comes to us from Inside Higher Ed. Uh, UT Austin lost a pregnancy and sex bias case against a professor who said the university held her motherhood against her in her tenure bid, and now the university owes her $3 million. The University of Texas Austin must pay an engineering professor uh, that amount of money because it would have promoted her in 2019 had she uh, not been pregnant, a federal jury in Texas decided. The assistant professor uh, was awarded $1 million for, pa for pain and suffering in the gender and pregnancy discrimination case and $2 million in future damages, plus $50,000 in back pay and benefits. Um, and finally, coming to us from Education Dive, Lincoln Christian University, a private non-for-profit institution in Illinois, is planning on cutting most undergraduate programs and shifting its focus to its graduate programs and its seminary. The institution's president, Silas McCormick, announced uh, this this week. The shift in strategy is meant to address a decade of declining enrollment, largely at the university's undergraduate campus. Uh, we will see more campuses facing this issue as we move forward through the pandemic and as uh, campuses are no longer able to pull off from CARES funds from previous, uh, from last year. So uh, today we are here uh, with uh, Sissy Petty, as well as with Seth Weinshell from George Washington University. And our topic is on the topic of rethinking residence life. Resident assistants have been the front line for residence life for generations. Um, and in the fall of 2021, George Washington University, located in Washington, D.C., launched their new residence life staffing model where RAs were no longer a part of the equation. Uh, what gave George Washington 
the team in the Division of Student Affairs, that will to take on this behemoth in the tradition of student affairs is going to be what we talk about today. Um, and so I want to welcome our guests. Uh, first, I want to welcome Seth Weinshell. He is the Associate Vice President for Business Services. Um, as Associate Vice President, Seth is responsible for housing, dining, and other auxiliary services at George Washington. Seth earns his BBA and his MTA from George Washington. So you are a longtime colonial um, and um, an AAS in culinary arts from Stratford University. So he is a chef, which is what you want running your auxiliary services area because he's going to tell you if the food is garbage. Um, <laughs> so he is <laughs> he is an accomplished senior housing officer with over two decades of housing management and planning experience and has held leadership positions within the Association of College and University Housing Officers International. Welcome, Seth. Take yourself off mute and say hello. Hello. Good afternoon. Thank you for being here. And uh, we have Dr. Sissy Petty. Uh, she is the Vice President for Student Affairs and Dean of Students. When uh, a former students were asked to describe Sissy, one piped up abruptly and said, she's a lightning bolt on two feet. And I can tell you, because I have known Sissy for a long time, that that is a very apt description. Um, Sissy was appointed to her position at George Washington um, in August of 2019. Um, and she has a long storied history in student affairs, which would take literally the whole hour for us to cover, which I'm not going to give you, but I'm going to give you this. She has high energy, a drive to accomplish bold projects, and a keen eye for details. She would describe herself as change agent, comfortable with in intuitively seeing the potential in people, places, and things. And as GW's Chief Student Affairs Officer, she provides leadership over areas including student conduct, student health and well-being, campus living, and residential education, fraternity and sorority life, student organizations, and leadership development as well as military and veteran student support and on-campus student programming. She has a big portfolio. Um, she is recognized nationally as a thought leader in student affairs. And Sissy has brought courses, uh, excuse me, has taught courses on leadership and counseling at the graduate and undergraduate levels and has presented extensively in the profession. Um, her undergraduate and graduate Grad degrees are from Florida State University, and in 2020, she was presented with the Florida State University Distinguished Alumni Award for the College of Education. Welcome, my good friend, Sissy Petty. Take yourself okay. off mute and say hi. Hi, Laura. Hi, Seth. Uh, that's quite an introduction, and what Laura really meant to say is that I am the oldest panelist on, on this <laughs> today. Uh, so this story of life, I mean, I'm just hopeful that I can breathe through the rest of it. You will, you will be fine. So this is a great uh, topic. We have a great crowd here. For those of you who are new to Fireside, before I get into the questions, let me give you a quick acclimation to the app. Uh, what you see here in front of you is on the bottom right-hand corner of your device, you see a react button. If you want to clap, if you want to laugh, if you want to do a poop emoji sound, you can do all kinds of things. And so please feel free 
free to do so. Um, if you would like to uh, request to come on up, you can do so through uh, the hamburger, which is on the left side of your phone. It's the dot. Uh, it's a gray dot. And there you can actually uh, request to be uh, ask a question um, and be part of the show. Think of it like a virtual conference. The other thing you can do through that hamburger is if you click on it now, you will see an option where you can broadcast to the world. And when you click on that, you can actually uh, bring up other uh, social media platforms and you can share it um, and tell people that you are here right now in Fireside uh, listening to this show and you can then share it on your LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, whatever you would like to do. Um, and so that is uh, some acclimation to the app and we want you to have fun. And uh, so we're going to start there. So I want to start with this uh, and I want to frame this for everybody. Uh, you know, I want to know what brought you to student affairs, uh, what brought you to this work and why this work is important to you. Because I think that matters as far as how you manage the change. You didn't just come into this and say, res life makes no sense. Why do we do it this way? Um, so I need people to understand kind of your history and what goes on. And I'm going to start with Seth and then I'm going to go to Sissy. So Seth, tell me a bit about your history, what brought you to this work and why it's important for you. Well, you know, first of all, uh, anytime I go before Sissy uh, makes me a little bit nervous because I have no idea what she's going to say after me sometimes. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, uh, as, as mentioned in my bio, I have worked in, in housing for, for over 20 years. I started actually um, in, you know, as a as a office manager in a large first year residence hall, uh, Thurston Hall on GW's campus. Uh, which is currently under construction, um, and then moved over to summer and conference housing, where I did that for a number of years, and then uh, moved into to the sort of academic year housing realm, uh, and then into to most recently some of the auxiliary services. And I think one of the interesting things for me, right, so, so I worked for uh, the housing department as a student, um, and then got a master's and never really left the institution, um, that I think most of us did. And I had some phenomenal mentors, um, you know, that, that sort of guided me and said, you know, this can be a career. Um, and, and, you know, have been doing that um, now for, for over 20 years. And I think for me, you know, with, with my background, both from a hospitality standpoint, you know, in a non-traditional student affairs um, and my culinary arts standpoint, you know, really looking at other industries to help not just, I think when we benchmark a lot of times incident affairs, we benchmark each other as opposed to necessarily benchmarking what others are doing outside of student affairs. Um, and so for me, you, you know, this is about how do we provide the best residential experience and the best student experience day in and day out. Mm -hmm. And I think over time, what we have all seen is the 24 seven nature of what we do um, is taxing. Um, yeah. And I think what we really started to focus on was how do we address some of that uh, through through these discussions? And Sissy, you know, you know me, I know you, I'm a res lifer from the beginning, okay, from the began began. So when you look at this and your kind of trajectory, you've done not only director work, but you were a senior student affairs officer when you were like 30. It right? was like six. She was like <laughs> six when she got it. Ah! When she got it. You are in big trouble. I'd go next. Just remember, I go next. 
<laughs> and so, you know, you came up through the ranks. Like, as you're looking at this in terms of what brought you to the field, but also what keeps you here, talk to us a little bit about what your perspective is now in terms of what keeps you in this leadership role and how that may have changed over time. It's a great question. And I think going off of what Seth said, um, you know, when I started thinking about this as a career, I'm not even sure that I understood all the things that I was going through in college was preparing me for this career, right? I knew I wanted to make a social impact. I mean, that I knew that in high school. I think I knew it when I was seven selling Christmas cards. I knew I wanted to meet other people, different people. I wanted to make life better for others. Um, so what, how was I going to do that? I mean, there were there were at least a couple of trajectories that I could have gone down the path from my own family background, but also interest area. And I talked to many of my peers that say, yes, I thought about law school. Yes, I thought about going into psychology, sociology, uh, and all of those things. But at the end of the day, once I once I got involved in college and I met the people that that actually taught me about connectedness and belonging, and they taught me about leadership, and they taught me about the importance of belonging and then and reaching out to the other in ways that maybe I wouldn't have done had I not joined a bunch of different groups, been on athletic teams, those kinds of things. So, so I think the role models in student affairs at Florida State University actually um, made me think about it as a career. And, and, and most of the folks that are on today, if you went home as a 21-year-old and your family had thought that you were going to go off to graduate school and do something, they didn't want you to go off into student affairs. They didn't no. understand <laughs> the word student affairs made my no. parents nervous. Like, what, no. what does that mean? <laughs> what is that? You know, and, um, but you know what? I will say this, and I can look back over this career and say, I have never regretted my decision one day. No matter right. how hard the day has been and sad, we've had sad days, we've had gloriously happy days. I've never thought, oh, I wish I had done something different. Um, I do think that we're a special breed of folks. Uh, I like to call it vocation calling, um, but that doesn't mean that you work for free. Right. Just because you feel that you're in a niche uh, of your career path, it still you still deserve respect. We still deserve appropriate uh, financial background. We, we still deserve appropriate hours. Mm -hmm. Just because you're called to something doesn't mean that you are expected then for everyone to have you do everything. That's not what this means, but I do right. think it takes a special person to work in this field with, with young folks. And so, you know, you both clearly have a commitment, not only to Seth, you've had a long history with GW, you work at your alma mater. That means it matters to you in a different way than, than maybe someone who comes in from the outside. Sissy, you've had a long history at many institutions as a change maker, as an innovator. Um, and you're both in this, you're looking at probably, you know, I call it this behemoth. Residence life is a behemoth at most universities. Residence Life's your biggest student affairs department. It's probably your only 24-7 department um, in many ways, unless you oversee, uh, say, police services or the police department on campus. But you're really talking about a 24-7 operation. You're housing people. You are uh, managing people. You are dealing with people in terms of um, their best days and their worst days. Um, and 
for anyone who's lived on a college campus, they know that the most pivotal role that many young people kind of relate to housing, um, besides room selection, which is a whole other thing, okay, because that's like one of my favorite stories about tension is room selection. But the resident assistant is a is a piece of that. And for most universities, uh, it is the frontline person who is a peer, typically a sophomore, junior or senior, sometimes a graduate student, but most of the time an undergraduate student who's dealing with those day to day conflicts and issues. I was an RA in 1987 to 1989, and, you know, the issues I dealt with were roommate conflicts and alcohol and, you know, the usual kind of bread and butter type of stuff around a hall. But we know times have changed. And what I think is attracting a lot of people to this call um, and to this, this show today is that we know not just COVID, but we knew like leading up to that, I recall back when um, the tragic incidents at Virginia Tech happened and the first person to die on that campus was an RA. And I remember saying to myself, this is changing who we are as a, as a field. And so I want to ask Sissy to start as the vice president at GW, you moved to a different uh, staffing model. Can you describe what that is, what it looks like? Um, and then I want to talk to you about political will in terms of making that happen and what that took. So can you kind of give us a description of what what came about in terms of what it looks like now? Well, it's interesting that Seth and I were having that discussion this morning because we were trying to figure out what, how did it how did it raise its voice? How did we we, 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 I know we were talking about um, what a different place DC is. And almost every campus could, could define their place, a sense of place. So DC is a sense of place, GW sits in that. And, and for me, there was uh, an RA that I was particularly close to who talked to me about how difficult some of the things were that she was dealing with. Um, and all I could think of is, Here's what we're doing now. We have mm -hmm. Title IX issues. Yep. We have suicidal ideation. We have completed suicides. We've been lucky we haven't had one in four years, but I use the word luck because only right. 24 hours are we ever away from that. Right. Um, but you have, you, have, you have things that are happening that actually um, can cause secondary trauma to a young person. Yep. And so I think through that as having a background in counseling that I think, why would we do that? It's different from having roommate conflict. Um, how do you call a parent? How do, how do we ask a student to call a parent about their, their child who has just been raped mm -hmm. or their child who has, you know, now gone to the hospital and we're trying to connect them. I mean, there's things here that I think are, are beyond, uh, a 19 year old, a 20 year old, even a 21 year old. I mean, sometimes the things that Seth and I and our team have dealt with are hard for us to deal with. Right. Oh, right. Um, student staff shouldn't be calling parents at, at, at night. I think it's, uh, I think it's more responsible for us to be dealing with the, um, the police, the campus police when it's appropriate. Um, this young person taught me a whole lot in 30 minutes 
about the antiquated program that we had in place, which is around the country, of mm-hmm. a week of training. Yep. And a lot of them are doing it because it's a price point for them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and then and then it gets in the way of their studies, and they're trying to build community, but they've also, you know, I mean, there were so many things. And then she looked at me and said, and I'm simply feeling unsafe walking around campus, and I know I have to do, walk, you know, walk arounds. Yep. So I think that's the genesis. Like, why are we repeating the same old things the mm-hmm. same way? We may tweak a program. We may t- welcome week. We may tweak some things, but we're not substantially changing the nature of one of the most important times in a student's life is when they get to college. Who do they communicate with? And then how about this? And who do their families communicate? Because parent and family calls are out of the box, right? Right, right. So and, that's and, Yep, and and I think it's important for those. I know there's just from looking at the at the profiles that are here and the audience and that sort of thing is that we have some folks who are actually listening not only live but uh, here in the room. Is that we have people who may not understand is that the idea of what does happen at uh, at the uh, residence life level in terms of training and that sort of thing. Every fall, what you see on a college campus is you, you welcome your RAs in, they come in for a week, they are here for uh, a week of jam-packed information delivery. They may go on a retreat overnight. They do something called behind closed doors where they do simulations of, of incidents. And then students show up. And you are learning on the job and you are trying to kind of move your way through this. And and when you look at this through the lens of someone who's been through this for a while, but also through the lens of 2022, you're thinking maybe this isn't the best plan. But the people in charge, and this is where I'm going to turn it to Seth, are like Seth. They are people who have been, and I use this term all the time, and Sissy, you've heard me say this, they've been institutionalized. It's like the Shawshank Redemption, okay? It's like you can't function on the outside and you are just like you know your institution and you know what's going on and you're unwilling to change. And us in student affairs and higher education in general, and I was just talking to some clients this morning about this, we benchmark the hell out of stuff. We see what other campuses are doing and we think we're being innovative, but what you're doing is you're actually saying, well, these people who are kind of like us are doing this, so we're going to keep doing it this way. Or we're going to shift a little bit, but we're really not being all that innovative. We're just doing something that we know is proven effective somewhere else. So, Seth, when you were kind of looking at this and, and, and you know, you got... Um, Sissy's uh, got a lot of information from this young person who came in and sat down with her. When when you kind of thought about this and you said, all right, this is a place that I'm really comfortable with. I know what's going on, but I know it's not quite what I want it to be. Where did you start to say maybe now is the time for us to make a change? So I so I think for us, there, there were there were a couple of things. And I want to add just one thing to what Sissy said, because I had a similar conversation with a student who talked about the impact of group text on their on their role as an RA. Huh. And and look, I was an RA 25 years ago as well. And we didn't have cell phones. No. Right? And and you know, for, for those of us that are now leading 
you know, housing and res life offices, we think about the experiences that we had as we lead. Right. And I didn't have a cell phone. I had the little, you know, we had a pager. (laughs) You might have had a pager, but I had the circle thing on my door that said, I'm at class. And then somebody couldn't find me. Right? Yes, yes. And and with group texts and with some of the, the things that students are seeing today, when, you know, we tell our RAs, hey, you're a student first. Yeah. But these are folks that want to build community and feel obligated to support their communities. So when a resident texts them in the middle of the day with an issue, mm-hmm. and they're in class, mm-hmm. they're reading that text. Yep. And, and Or there's a whole, you know, group me going on and they're reading that. And so for us to say you're a student first, we've just distracted their learning. Yes. Right? And so so for me, it was, how, how do we figure out, you know, how do we support our students, right, so that they can be students? But also, how do we deliver yep. on, the, on the service delivery that we talk about delivering? And what is mm-hmm. it that we need to resolve for? And, and your point right. around, and I talk a lot about, you know, if we want a situation to be resolved at point of impact, right? So the first time mm-hmm. somebody goes to a staff member, I want that staff member equipped to resolve the situation. Yes. And what we find with RAs at times is we don't authorize them as institutions right. to necessarily yes. make some of those decisions. And oh, by the way, they're also not always available to do some of those things. And so we really wanted to, to sort of think about how do we provide resources at the point of contact to resolve it? And I think your point around, look, you know, RAs are, are 19, 20, 21-year-olds. The only thing that equips them to be an RA is that they completed at least a year of college and go through that week of training. Yep. And we really thought about how do we have a well-trained staff to deliver on frankly, the residential experience that we all tout to be. And Mm -hmm. what we quickly realized was we needed a professional staffing model to be able to, um, frankly, professionalize some of those aspects of the role in order to make it that when at at point of impact, right, at point of situation, it could be resolved. Yep. And we also needed to make sure that those individuals were around when students needed them. Yeah. And not based on their schedule as a student. And and so we really, you know, we, we, we looked at it. And I think for us, you know, the impetus for us, COVID obviously gave us an opportunity to pause, right? You know, we all, we all had to look at all of our systems, all of our processes. We were talking about this for years before. Mm-hmm. COVID gave us a little bit more time as we had less students on campus, frankly, less people to, to, to necessarily worry about. Right. Give us the time to, to focus on it. But the other thing that it also called out for us was that we, we as, a, as a student affairs profession and a housing and res life profession and a higher ed profession, in, in my own belief, were unfairly putting burden on RAs across the country mm. because folks were saying at the beginning of COVID, who's going to enforce mask wearing? Mm. And who's going to escort people to isolation yeah. housing? And who's going to yeah. deliver food? And every every conversation I had was, well, you RAs. got these hundreds of RAs. RAs. So them do it. Yes. And, 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 and I'm saying these are still students. Yeah. Right? They're still students. And asking them to do that just didn't seem 
right. like the right thing that we should be doing. So yeah. it gave us the opportunity to pause and really look at it and, and frankly, turn it all on its head. So let me ask you a question, and, and this is for either of you. So were you, did you have any students living on campus during the height of COVID? Uh, we, during the height of COVID, we had, the, we had 500 um, okay. in, in fall of uh, 2020. Yeah. Um, we had 500, um, and, and we sort of tested this model with those 500 because we had some attrition, and so we mm-hmm. had – you know, we had, a, you know, we, we had professional staff really working with those students. And oh, by the way, those 500, right, when you look at, at who they are, they, they were our most um, at-risk population. It was our international students who couldn't get home. Right. It was our students with housing insecurities that had no place to go. And so we assigned them at that time, each, you know, a professional staff member as their liaison. Great. to really work through their stuff. And we really were able to sort of test out the model, figure out the ratios, do some of those things. And look, having 500 students on campus when we typically have 7,000 is obviously a whole lot less. And it was one of the ways that we were able to to, to maintain our staffing um, in that time as well, because they were serving in, in some of those capacities. So you were able to pilot it just by virtue of the space and the the uh, type of situation that you found yourself in. So, so Sissy, when you were looking at this and you were saying, this actually works, we have some uh, proof of in the pudding, but now you have to actually sell it. How did you actually get that political will to sell it? And how did you kind of frame it uh, in the sale? I, I actually knew exactly what we would do. I mean, I knew immediately we would, uh, I report directly to the president. So I was able to have that conversation and get uh, presidential support. But then I knew I had to talk to the EVP and chief financial officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really worry about that conversation because I felt like we had a model that would also be a cost savings. Uh, it's not why we did it, but mm-hmm. I knew after we explained the why, the safety features, uh, the retention aspect, um, I, I knew that then he would understand that also the rooms, you know, I mean, RAs like to do that job too because they're getting free room and board, right? Right, right. So, so, so we, would, we would actually save money by, you know, being able to have those rooms available. Right. Right. So that that helped fund our program. The other part of that, though, was something that I'm very proud of Seth and and Stuart Robinette, who's very active in Akuhawai for doing is, is that they designed a program together that, uh, you know, enabled students to still have work. So we had long discussions about what do students love doing? Well, they love programming. For the most part, they love to throw a program together. They like being together. Uh, they like the front desk. Why? Because they get to say hi to everyone. They get to mm-hmm. meet everyone and, and, and visit. And so we designed programs and, and opportunities for RAs when we were disillusioning that, you know, dissolving the, pro- the program to be able to then apply for another, you know, let's find your niche. If you, if you like uh, programming, great. If you like advertising, great. If, if you like welcome week and closing week because it's so fun, great. I mean, you, and, and that's how we started to pilot the program. We got very, very little pushback. Um, very few parents called about, you know, my son or daughter can't, you know, can't afford to come, can't do this. And we, we'd say, hey, let's pop them right into this program. Mm-hmm. 
So you found opportunities that would continue the the part of why students actually benefit from the RA position beyond some of the financials, but let's talk about those transferable skills, those things that they actually are able to harness. They're able to uh, say, I actually am a great programmer, or I'm a great peer tutor, or I'm a great this. These are the things that actually bring me joy and confidence and able to heighten my skill sets. And you were able to keep those things going in a very intentional way. And financially, we were able to then, you know, make sure that those who are on federal work study, you know, could get into this program and federal work study or any any one of those programs would help. And if in our additional funding, we could then hire work study students as we normally would and put them into those places. So we tried to eliminate the need issue um, right. so that students wouldn't wouldn't have a pinch there. Um over, you know, overall, I know we'll get into the sort of the review of it, but in terms of planning programs around things that students are good at and having them be able to be involved in things that bring them joy and stretch their skill level. I mean, you know, I still think that our, our residential program plan is solid because they are learning something, uh, they're building something, um, and, and they're not having to respond to things that are above their experience level. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. thing I'm pleased about that Seth and, and Stuart have done is that, you know, then they could look at our buildings and actually start thinking about neighborhoods. Everybody loves to belong to a neighborhood, yeah. right? I mean, you get some identity and then some affinity to that identity, which is what is so important and had been missing in some ways in our program. And I think that as the community coordinator program grows, which which we intend that it will, that, you know, that th- these folks will be the cornerstones of building the neighborhoods and having students identify with their neighborhood, not just a hall, but, you know, so that they can move in pods together to meet each other. Mm-hmm. I, I love this idea. And I want to shift uh, in a second to how you can see what's working and what are some of the things you've learned so far. Um, but I want to say we're about halfway through the show. Uh, here, one of the benefits of Fireside is if you have a question, you can request to come on up on stage and ask Sissy and Seth your question. Uh, please feel free to do so. I also want to uh, give a shout out for those who are attending the NASPA conference, which will be in Baltimore next week. Um, I will be there along with my fireside setup and we will be doing some live uh, podcasts there. Uh, following uh, the uh, shows uh, at NASPA, we'll take a week off and then we'll be back uh, in the swing of things with our usual uh, roles. But we have some great shows coming up in uh, in April uh, with uh, some uh, great guests, which you'll hear more about uh, in the coming days. But uh, really excited about that and really excited to be uh, able to bring the show to NASPA. And if you you see me at NASPA, please uh, give me a hi, and we will make sure to uh, chat about uh, how you're feeling about the conference, how you're feeling about this environment. We're going to have a lot to process as uh, as folks. Some people, this is their first time being back out in the wild, and so uh, there'll be some of that going on. Um, and uh, for those of us who have to figure out if we have pants that fit anymore, that is a, an important part of what we're trying to deal with in the next few days. So uh, please, if you are interested in asking a question, you know what to do. Just uh, request to come on up on stage, and we're happy to have you. Um, so 
This is a very new program. It is not something you mean, you know, Seth talked about it earlier that you had a little opportunity to pilot it uh, in the 2020-2021 academic year, but now uh, you're in a, a new year at, at full full strength, so to speak. So I think the question that a lot of people are going to have here is, what does the actual staffing model look like right now, Seth? And then uh, I want to ask both of you what you're seeing in terms of uh not only what are you seeing what's working, um, even though we should be a very data-driven uh, uh, type of profession, but there's also a certain amount of it that you're going to know if you feel like it's working. Uh, so uh, I want to know what the what the staffing model looks like, Seth, and then we're going to get into the how is it working. Sure. So our current staffing model is that we have um, 25 community coordinators um, you know, the, the average ratio is about one to 250 on our campus. Um, our buildings don't fully equate that way. It's, it's never as easy. Um, that is a lesson learned that I'll talk about in a minute. Um, and then we have over 200 student staff doing specialized student staff positions, right? And this is the thing where, where I think, you know, I think back to the time that I was an RA and what we see with RAs, right? When we tell them to do a program and it's you have to do this alcohol education program or social impact program, and they do it once, right? And they check that box and they're done. Mm -hmm. As opposed to when you do a program and you present it 10 or 15 times, you become an expert and you become better at delivering that program. And frankly, you become more engaging in that. And that's what we're seeing with our with our programmers and they feel comfortable doing that we also have folks who are solely responsible for doing bulletin boards right mm. and 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 you know not everybody likes to do bulletin boards some people are very creative in that way some people aren't right so they're changing out bulletin boards they're designing bulletin boards they're doing you know that passive education right that, that's really important to do right. but they're doing it across a neighborhood as opposed to in an individual floor so you right. get a little bit more consistency you get a little more, um, a little more quality control, a little, a little more quality <laughs> control. Right. You know, and, and, you know, and then the other thing that, that we also have, right. And, and this was a thing at GW because, you know, the RA role, once you sort of, you know, created it, you know, an RA would create their door decks and, and then they would be done. Right. They wouldn't have right. time to do it again. So then right. we have staff that are, you know, with those bulletin boards, they're changging out door decks. Right. right. And it's nice to come home. And know that somebody changed out your door deck, right? right. And and the, and to know that somebody's there caring for you, right? That's the the type of environment we're trying to we're trying to create. And so those things have been good. Now, some of the challenges that we saw, and I think lots of folks are seeing this, is is um, you know onboarding student staff after COVID mm -hmm. was a challenge. Yeah, it took it took us. Um, probably about three weeks longer than we really wanted to to get them fully up and running. Mm -hmm. And it, and as we know, three weeks in a residence hall is like three years yeah. anywhere else. Right. And so, you know, our spring transition was way better than our fall transition um, from an opening standpoint, just in terms of the resources that were open. So that was, that was um, you know, a, 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 a lesson learned. And, and we're starting to recruit for our student staff for next year in a similar fashion that we would with RAs where we're recruiting sort of in the month of April, right, to get them so that they're all onboarded and, and we do what we need to do for the fall. Mm -hmm. But they don't then have to come back for that. You know, they're not doing a week of training. They're doing a day or two of training because it's very specialized. 
right. for their position. The other thing that we that we saw, um, and this is where I think you really have to think about what the building makeup is um, of your campus. Um, and so we have some really large buildings, right? We have we have three or four buildings that are over eight hundred people, mm-hmm. um, and you know we we probably understaffed those, uh, you know, this year. We we put you know for the most part two staff members in them, and we probably need three. Okay. Um, we have we have other buildings. Um, you know, that are 130 person buildings and they're doing great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the staff to student ratio, um, you know, is, is good. Um, you know, they're responsive. It creates the, the amount of resources. So that is a challenge. And then the other thing, um, you know, we have, we have a smaller campus, um, our Mount Vernon campus, which houses 700 students. And when you think about what you're going to set your on-call uh, mm-hmm. responsibilities as, for us, one of the things is we, we probably understaffed that team um, from an on-call standpoint just because of the, the numbers and the ratio, and you probably need to overstaff. So there are a couple of tweaks. Sissy talked about, you know, that we're, ho- we're hoping to grow a little bit for next year. We believe the right number for our campus is more like 30 community coordinators as opposed to 25. But we were really close, and part of it, I think, just has to do with making sure you have the right resources and the right ratios for the right number of students. So when you're recruiting those community coordinators, what type of professional are you looking for? So we're looking for, for student affairs master's level professionals mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, folks who, who may have housing in his life, uh, folks who have you know, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion work, orientation work, um, folks that frankly want to help students grow and succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that, that we are really clear um, with our recruitment, at least I think we're clear with our recruitment, is really what the job entails. And we developed this sort of met- matrix that talks about what your week looks like. Mm-hmm. And that week is 39 and a half hours of work. And one of the things that we are constantly talking with our, with our team about is, look, if you're working more than that, you're working too much, right? Mm. Because I think one of the things that we are seeing in student affairs in general is this idea around, listen, the work is always there. And I think we overwork our teams at times. And so, you know, what we're saying is, okay, if you have a significant roommate issue that takes up time, don't do X that week. Right. right? Do it, you know, push it back. Right. If you're doing, you know, if you can't get to your, your hall walk that week because you had an incident that came up. Don't do that. And really trying to be flexible in really trying to make it where the, the, the staff is supported in that they're really working, you know, about a 40 hour week, mm-hmm. um, you know, move in maybe a little bit different, but for right. the most part, working a 40 hour week and really trying to hold them to that. And then having constant conversations around, you know, for us, we know that if, if, if our staff isn't taken care of and isn't supported, they can't support our residents. Right. And so, and so part of this is how do we make sure that they get the right rest that they need and they get the ability to unwind and they get the ability to connect with each other, you know, in, in ways. And frankly, if they're always working, they don't have energy to do those things. Right. So we're right. really, we're really intentional around, you know, what the work looks like. Um, you know, and, and we know in this in this business, right, one week isn't the same as the next, but no. we've developed a framework for them to follow. That's so, great. Yeah, go I, ahead, Sissy. 
That's one of the things that Seth brings up. It's so important in our field, and especially as we're, you know, looking to the future of student affairs work in general, and you know what those expectations are. I was talking to uh, a colleague at, at LSU, VP, uh, and uh, Jeremiah Shin, and we were talking about how you know everybody says, "Oh, do more with less. Do more with less." No. How about do less better? Yeah. That's, yeah. you know, that's what he said to me. Let's do less better. Yeah. The other thing is, is, it, is it's, we have got to get parameters around when work is work and work is done, right? Mm. And, and, and stick to those. Um, and you know what? If, if someone in the field, as long as I've been in the field, can understand that hybrid can work in some situations, we should be doing hybrid in the situations that work. Mm-hmm. When you need to be on campus, you know we're front-facing, I think 90% front facing, but there are times that students want counseling hybrid. Right. Why would I make them come in person if they, they, they prefer hybrid. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. so we're working through all of that. And, and I think it's time for us to take a fresh look so that we have fresh employees who, who want to be here and not, we, you know, I hope we'll talk about this at NASPA. I mean, the whole idea of the great resignation and, Mm -hmm. you know, so many startup companies are just picking everyone off from senior senior student affairs folks to very very junior and right. and it's because the work life balance uh, has has only been a um, it's only been something in words and not action and so those right. things to even out well and and i i mean i think one of the things that you have to your disposal and i and i i think it takes a certain type of person who is going to actually flourish in this, but I, but I think it's actually a good time for this is that you're in an innovation mindset. You actually have something happening where stu- where your staff is saying, we're, we're actually cutting edge here. We're actually setting the pace for other communities. Are you, are you seeing that from them? Are you seeing that they're actually kind of jazzed about this? And this, this is for either of you to answer. Well, I, you know, just from the senior student affairs level, you know, there, there are folks that are very interested in it. And especially if it if, if it's going to hit all the points that are usually pain points for us, which are parents sometimes, right. family members sometimes and and students and staff and all of the things that you that you want to make better. You can't make better unless you have front facing people who actually can deal with the issue sooner. No one wants to wait anymore for no. They want you to respond to the text now, respond mm-hmm. by phone, you know, they're in, in and rightly so. Right. I still think that, you know, everyone deserves to get that response. So how much better to have uh, trained professionals be able to pick up a phone and call and say, this is what's happening with your child right now. You know, this is what's happening here. And, and, and we don't wait 24 hours. We don't wait until, you know, the parent calls three times. Uh, I think the immediacy of getting things done is is a is a very positive one. So it, I love that aspect of this because when you think about what has been one of the frustrations at many institutions, I've worked at multiple institutions, and you would see exactly what you were talking about, Seth. Is that the RA can't do more than this, and then it has to get bumped up. 
And then, well, how long is that going to take? And when does that actually act- create a, a situation where we can actually act on it, right? So if it's a roommate conflict, what do we have to do to move someone out? What has to happen here? Who's going to communicate with the family? Do we even communicate with the family? What do we do? And that's not something a 19-year-old does. And in fact, we would always say, no, the student should not be talking to the parent. They, the student should not be doing this, right? Um, and so you've actually created this this opportunity to to uh, have the experience of the student be streamlined um, and to uh, even the example of what Seth was talking about with something like uh, door tags and bulletin boards. If a student rem- arrives on their floor into their neighborhood as using the terminology that Sissy's using, I arrive in my neighborhood, I see my community person, we have a good working relationship. They know what's going on in my life. They're able to make that connection with me. And I actually see them and they come to me and say, hey, Laura, I know we were talking about how you're struggling with you know, your academics and getting that internship. How is that going? Did you go see this person that I may help you make the appointment for? Yep. Da, da, da. Get to my my room, I have a new door tag. I see a new bulletin board. I know there's a program going on. It It is kind of like that that service. I think that what I see here is different than what some institutions use as that concierge college. This is not a concierge college. This is taking student uh, student development and embedding it in a way that is very different. And that is going to allow for students to actually feel connected, feel a sense of belonging, feel that their needs are being addressed and the right people are addressing the needs. The person with the professional degree, the person who has the background is handling the more dynamic and more complicated issues. And the student, my peer, who is my sense of belonging, who is my neighbor, is able to pull me in. Am I getting what's going down here, Seth? Yes. Yes. And I think, you know, you, you, you know, one of the interesting things, I think we've all gotten the call uh, from a parent who says, my kid's got a roommate conflict. And the RA, you know, they sent an email to the RA and they're having a meeting four days from now. And that time the thing blows up. Right. Right. And what we have is the CC is saying, oh, you're having a roommate conflict. Let's meet now. Right. Right. And so what we're not getting right from from the parents is that there's a quote, an, an expected service breakdown. Right. It's we've set up these these abilities, right? Because our A's are students first. They're not always there. Right. So you don't have the expected service breakdown. And what we hear from the parents is that the staff was phenomenal. They mediated it. They just can't live together. Right. Right. right? Which is the, which in some cases is the same thing that an RA would do, except they're not trusting an RA the same way that they are you know, an adult that's in the building that has a master's that talks about that, that, you know, and so they say, well, you know, maybe it's just, they're not compatible as opposed to somebody didn't do their job. Mm-hmm. The, let me ask this follow up to that. And, and Sissy, you have a background in, in counseling, you know, what some of the real issues are happening right now on campuses, mental health issues are through the roof. Have you found that this model has actually uh, gotten students the kind of mental health attention that they need faster? Is there anything that's proven itself in that area? You know what I think is that they have accurate information to give. 
And so they're not making it up as they go along. Like, oh, very important. Oh. Yeah. And, and they're not passing on rumors. So not that I'm saying that RAs did that, but, oh, you might not want to go to the counseling center because of X, because what I heard down there was X. That's not happening. Mm -hmm. so instead, it's I'm going to be here with you. Let's call the crisis line together and then let's make sure there's an appointment. And I'll, there's some follow up that's very but it, it is it, it's not concierge like, but it is formulaic in the sense that we're not just going to let a student flounder about not how to get the help that they need. I mean, in those serious kinds of things. Um, but what I will say, Laura and Seth knows this, too. I call this the great experiment. Mm. I call it a great experiment because, first of all, you know, we were first out of the box. Right. It was a little nerve wracking. Right? right. But also exhilarating. And so for us to follow up in detail on how we're doing along the way and, and be able to withstand any criticism about what we're doing mm -hmm. and so be able to sit in that moment and say, Hey, we do need five more. We underestimated, uh, and make that case to, to the EVP and CFO and say, Hey, we, we missed this mark, but this is why, but this is our why we always go back to that. It's, it's, it's about care and safety. It's mm -hmm. not not that we want to build some kind of queendom or kingdom about having staff. Right. Right. We need more staff in other areas too. But in this particular case, I want students to have adult presence during these times. It's just a different era. Laura. It is just different. Yep. Absolutely. And, and that brings me to my, my next question about assessment and outcomes. What are you assessing and, and uh, for, and what outcomes are you striving for? So um, we will continue to, to, to do Sky Factor every other year. Uh, so we, we benchmark um, that way. Um, and then we are, we are using our dashboards to see, um, you know, how, how things are changing um, in terms of sort of pre-pandemic, you know, after hours duty response. So how mm -hmm. much, you know, how many of us know that something happened at four o'clock that becomes an all evening duty thing as opposed to with the right person resolving it at four o'clock it doesn't become an after you know yeah. so we're looking at we're looking at our duty response we're looking at you know our our, our number of of room changes that we have um and and mediated conflicts you know that we have so so we're you know tracking all of that stuff and measuring that to, to what we had pre-pandemic and then we're going to continue to look at that and then we're also doing you know, we, we, we work with our residence hall association um, to, to seek student feedback. Um, and then we're also seeking feedback from the, the CCs, um, not to, not to uh, uh, throw Sissy out there, but Sissy invites them to her home, right? She invites them to her home, offers them a libation, um, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, and uh, typically in the, in the red form, um, and, and, uh, you know, and, and has conversations about what their experience is, um, and, and where, you know, they think they need more support. Right. So, you know, one of the things that, that we heard from, from our team was, you know, that they, they, they wanted some more, um, you know, mental health training. Right. So we did, we did a mental health first aid training with all of our staff. And we did two of those and they've all been trained. Now, the difference is when we can say to a professional staff member, this is a mandatory training that you got to go and they're going to do it as opposed to when you have 150 or 300 RAs, you know, you're going to miss some of them. Right. right? So there are things right. like that, that we can then make sure that 
we're providing the right resources that we need and the right trainings that we need so that they're, they're, they feel, you know, completely confident uh, to, to perform the roles that we're asking them to perform. That's great. Um, you know, I think the thing that uh, is probably, I, I can hear some of the people who are longtime res lifers on this uh, kind of listening. And what would be going through the, uh, some people's heads is, but what about the, and they'd fill in the blank on some of the basics that RAs would do, whether it be lockouts, whether it be the idea of, uh, you know, the room condition reports, right? You know, documentation around alcohol and, and other, you know, violations of college policy. When you were building out these opportunities for students and you were being really intentional, I mean, how many subgroups of students do you have in terms of uh, getting these jobs done? We have 10. So when we, when we, um, you know, really looked at the RA as a generalist, right? There were really 10 buckets for us. Mm-hmm. And so we created, we created 10 jobs um, because we really wanted to make sure that we were allowing somebody to specialize based on their strengths. Okay. Um, and, and frankly, what, what they wanted to do, we'd hear from RAs, oh, I want to do these three aspects of the job, but I really don't want to do these seven, but I'm going to do the job to do those three. We've right. all had the guy who never wants to do a bulletin board. And you're like, yes. really? This looks like it's the worst. Yes. <laughs> right. And then there are some people that strive with it. So we have, we have 10. And one of the things that we actually created was we actually created, you know, one of the things for us, and I think we all sort of figure out, okay, how do you manage move in if you have less people? Right. So, so we created one of the positions is a transition assistant position. And they work essentially move in and move out. And that is all they do. And they help us with the inspections. And they're doing the check-ins and the checkouts. And they are working the, the two weeks leading up to move in and the week of closing. And they get a housing credit instead of getting paid. Right? And so they're get a they get a reduction in their housing. So it, you know, one of the things from a housing and life standpoint, we always see is when somebody becomes an RA, they lose financial aid. Mm-hmm. We worked we worked with our financial aid office to figure out what's the max we could give without adjusting the cost that's of great. attendance. And that's yep. what we're doing. So they're seeing a direct impact of that. And and so, you know, we, we have so we have uh, two hundred and ten of those positions. For next year we've had three hundred and fifty people apply for them. So, wow. you know, because there are people that just want to do that aspect of it. Right. Right. Um, and so that, you know, so we so we solved for, for some of that through sort of, you know, I'm going to call it creative, uh, you know, creative thinking around what is it that we need to accomplish? And when you break big things down into smaller buckets, you can have some innovation. That's a great I, I love this. This is just jazzing me at, at every turn. Um, so I want to just give a shout out in that uh, in the weeks to come uh, immediately after the NASPA conference, we'll be taking a, a break on the week of the 30th of March. And then we come back uh, in the first week of April. We have Dr. Sidney Freeman. Um, he is from uh, the University of Idaho, and he has uh, created a really interesting and 
innovative space around an African-American uh, cultural center on his campus. So we're going to talk about more about that, creating uh, a, a cultural center in a space that's really uh, a predominantly white uh, institution and what that looks like and what's the political landscape there. Um, after that, you will be joined back by the Think Tank. We'll be back for the show on the 13th of April. Um, and then we're going to round out uh, the month of March, uh, sorry, the month of April, looking at uh, selecting and looking at college selection and what uh parents and students can learn from the student affairs folks. And those are the last two episodes of the month of April. So if you're interested in learning more, uh, please be sure to follow me right here on Fireside. You'll be uh, given an alert every time I schedule a new show. Um, and then I also up in the fortune cookie scrolling across the middle of your screen right now is information on how to connect with me on all my social media platforms, as well as subscribing to my uh, weekly newsletter on Substack, which is the number one Substack in higher education. Uh, so please subscribe and get your news there. I'm going to give Sissy the last word um, on this. And uh, being that she loves to talk about innovation and she loves to talk about leadership. Sissy, what have you learned about innovation and leadership and what happens when you create an environment where your team can do both? Oh my gosh, it's almost like a takeover. <laughs> just be prepared. I mean, I have the smartest group that I'm working with and to talk about just uh, being open to new ideas, uh, they're gonna go crazy with it and I love it. And, and I especially appreciate so much about what Seth does uh, I'm excited about our new dining program. That's a whole other, a whole other podcast, uh, and what Stuart's doing. And I, you haven't met Colette Coleman. She should be on your show. She is one of the most strategic thinkers I've ever met. So I'm in the midst of just enjoying the heck out of my team, my senior team, um, and seeing them excel. And uh, we have a, a new interim president that is very student centric. In fact, uh, Lori White was his vice president for student affairs uh, at WashU. And so I think we're, we're in a really good place to reimagine uh, how we do our student affairs work. And that, I hope it comes up at the conference because that's what I'm looking forward to is us reimagining our role, uh, not, not staying, staying true to our tradition and looking to the future. Well, I couldn't think of a better way to end the show. I want to thank both you and Seth. Uh, I This has been just absolutely intriguing, wonderful. It has given me all kinds of questions. I'm going to have follow-ups. Um, but I wish you guys the most. I know you're going to publish about this. I know you're going to tell people about it. Um, and so for those of you who are looking to innovate your student affairs area, I think one of the most important things that came out of this was uh, – not only don't be afraid to innovate, uh, but take advantage of those opportunities to say, how do you break this thing down? Exactly what Seth just said. How many positions does this actually look like? And how do we do this the most efficiently? Um, and, uh, you know, work smarter, not harder, everybody. And so, yeah. I would be, of course, remiss if I didn't tell everybody how important your executive assistant, your chief of staff, um, I could not be here today if it weren't for Jay Jones, as you know, who is sitting to my right. He's holding up the iPad for you. <laughs> He's making sure it's all good. Not quite. But anywho, uh, thank you so much for having us. I appreciate you. I appreciate all you do. And have a great day, everybody. And please join us next week while we're running around NASPA. Keep, keep the alerts on, everybody. Be well. See you soon, friend. <laughs>